This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. So our text today is Genesis chapter 25, verses 27 through 34. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Good morning and welcome to those who are with us in person and those who are online with us. Uh, for visitors, we've been going through the book of Genesis for the last, I don't know, uh, if you're going to continue to visit with us, we've got some journal, um, Bible journals on the table outside if you'd like one. This has the text on one side and note, places for notes on the other so you can take notes. So today, and by the way, I'm just echo what Brent said. There, there's nothing more powerful, powerful to me than a group of men who really love Jesus and are singing with all their might, unashamedly, for their brothers, as we saw this past weekend, again, as we've seen for the last 25 or 30 years, we've been doing men's retreats, but we were in a really tiny room. Bad choice, my, my bad on the houses. I guess I shouldn't have waited until Monday to get them. But anyway, we, we were in a small room, and so 30, 32, 33, 35 guys, however many we had, all singing at the top of their lungs and just reverberating. And a couple of times I thought, all right, he's, he's going to just go ahead and come right now. <laughs> come back, Lord. So thank you, men. You, you uh, wives, I know you're proud of your husbands, and you're also proud of your sons, as, as I am. Last week, we celebrated the birth of twins, right? Jacob and Esau. And the text read as though they were born after Abraham died. And Moses sometimes, as he's writing the, the Pentateuch, as he's writing these events, sometimes he puts them in a different order for various reasons. And this is an example of that. Remember, Abraham died when he was how old? 175. How old was Abraham when Isaac was born? 100, right? So that means that, uh, that Isaac's sons were born when he was 60. Then they were 15 years old when Abraham died. Think about that, that these two guys got to grow up to be teenagers, if you will, and spend time with Father Abraham and hear his stories and learn from him and see his faith. You know, it reminded me as I thought about that of my great-grandmother, who's, I've talked about her before, but she was the patriarch, matriarch of our family, the spiritual matriarch of my family, and she died when I was 15. But so for 15 years, I got to sit at her feet, and I got to hear her talk about the Lord, and I got to watch her follow Jesus. I hope you have somebody in your life like that, an older saint that you have looked up to and you've maybe modeled your life after. If you don't, I have good news for you. You can be that person for your children and your grandchildren. Amen? 
Well, we saw the struggle for Jacob and Esau started even in the womb. They were slugging it out even in the womb. And that struggle continues now as these young men are grown up. At least they're grown up physically. Now, let's look at this passage under three main points. Manliness, favoritism, and birthright. Look at that picture. Which, which one of these guys, top right, which one is the real man? Be careful here, guys. Both of them appear to have the XY chromosome. Hello? Therefore, they are both men, right? The more manly men, sometimes we determine manliness by aggression, by athleticism, by rugged individualism, or even you got a big truck and big biceps. Oh, you must be a manly man. Or if you're really good at pickleball, we learned this weekend, you must really be a manly man. Let's be careful with that. Now, Esau, we're told, was a skillful hunter. He was a man of the fields. And he may have been a lot bigger and a lot stronger than Jacob. We're not told anything about their relative size. We don't know that. But the truth is, though Jacob is certainly not very likable here, he's not very likable for the first half of his life at least, right? Till God wrestles him into submission. He turns out to be the most manly man. Even the way he, Moses describes Jacob here is telling Right? He says he's a quiet man dwelling in tents. Let's do back let's do them backwards. The Sumerians of those days spoke highly of people who lived in tents. Why? Because they said they are settled, they are civilized. What does he mean by quiet man? Well, the Hebrew word there is T-A-M, Tam or Tom, not sure how to pronounce that. But the word there for quiet man doesn't mean mama's boy or sissy. In fact, it means complete, upright, one of stable disposition. In other words, according to Moses here, Jacob was the one who was more in control of himself and his emotions than his older brother. It reminded me of Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. All right? And Jesus said, blessed is the meek, and we know meekness is not weakness, but meekness is strength under control. Who was the meekest man who ever lived? That would be Jesus. Therefore, I would say that Jesus was the manliest man who ever lived. And we don't know anything about the size of his biceps or the size of his truck or how aggressive he was or how athletic he was. So we have to be careful adopting the cultural mindset to determine what's manliness and what's not. Some have said that Esau, even as a grown man, had a child's nature rather than an adult character. We'll see how that fleshes out as we go along. He was a victim of his own personal appetites. And all of we men and women can be that as well, can't we? A victim of our own personal appetites. Well, that leads us to favoritism. Look at verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That's just funny to me. Isaac makes his preference known, but it's based on his senses. It's based on his gut. I love your food, and so I love you. Esau, you are my favorite because, man, you cook a mean meal. We had some good meals this weekend, right? But nobody was going, all right, I love you best because you had the best. No. But he says it's simplistic, but it reveals a weakness in Isaac. Okay, there's a weakness here, as there is in all of us. Rebecca prefers Jacob. Why does she prefer Jacob? 
Maybe it's because he was more available to help around the, I started to say house earlier, but his tent, right? Help around the tent with the mess. But maybe it was because Rebecca knew from God what? What had God told Rebecca? That the younger would be served by the older, that Jacob was really the one that God was going to anoint as the child of promise. Maybe that's why she preferred him. The problem is that they both preferred a child over the other. Favoritism was a problem in that family. It's a problem in any family. Can anybody say coat of many colors? Yeah, we know that story. We're going to get to that story and how that favoritism caused some terrible struggles and suffering as it was taken to an extreme. But even here, the favoritism causes a conflict between Isaac and Rebekah. It causes a conflict between Esau and Jacob. And, and it, it festers to the point that after Isaac blesses Jacob, we'll see that in future sermons, but after Isaac blesses Jacob because he does have the birthright and God had ordained that that would be the, the way it was to go, even though he, Isaac was deceived, after that, Esau promises, he vows to kill his brother. In the Journal of Marriage and Family did a study in 2018 and found that, listen to this, 70% of the mother's surveys admitted to having a favorite child. Now, children, don't turn and ask if you're the golden. Am I the golden child? 70% have a favorite child. Of the adults surveyed, only 15% said they received equal treatment from their parents. It's a common occurrence that can cause lots of problems. In fact, anxiety and depression are very common among those who are less favored and resentment and anger in them towards those who are more favored. And of course, we know there are problems in those who are favored. They have the entitlement mentality, the prince syndrome, right? The, the child king or queen syndrome that can lead to all kinds of issues. Those who are not favored can, can develop an independent spirit and I don't need anybody attitude. And they can be, that can lead to isolation. I heard Jen Wilkins speak of this and she said, it's not unusual for a parent to like one child more than another, but parents must work hard to love each child uniquely. Okay? It's just common. It's just common human nature to be drawn perhaps to, to, the, to one child more than another because you're more like them or more they're, they're more compatible or whatever. But this is true. Each child is not to be uh, loved differently but uniquely according to who they are as a child of God and creating the image of God. In order to do that, the Journal of Marriage and Family goes on to say that a parent must first acknowledge that it's happening. Right? It starts with acknowledgement. It starts with admission. And if Jacob and or Isaac and Rebecca had, had been able to acknowledge that, maybe that, that would have solved some of the future problems. And the same with Jacob later on. Finally, we come to birthright. What's the most important, what's most important in this story is that Esau lost his birthright to Jacob, but he lost it, why? Because he did not consider it to be important. He didn't value his birthright. It took second place to his appetite. What was a birthright? Well, it had to do with a portion that a child would receive from his father. And in that culture, we know that the oldest son would receive twice as much as the other children. You say, well, that's unfair. Well, it's not about being fair. That's just the way it was with that culture. And we know that, uh, that, that Jacob was not going to receive the birthright from his father. Uh, Esau was because he was, what, a minute 
older than, than Jacob. And, and it also meant in this case much more than just his father's wealth. It meant that the birthright was going to go to the son who would be in the line of promise, right? Only one of these boys is going to be in the line of promise. And we'll see later where God says, you know, uh, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. What does that mean? God doesn't hate Esau, does he? It's a comparison term, right? It's like Jesus said, you know, compared to how you, you love me, you should hate your family. You should hate your, your father and your mother. And Jesus was using that as a, as a comparison. Your love first needs to be towards me. And God says, I love Jacob. And, and, uh, and he is the one that I have chosen who will follow after me. What's most important in this story, though, is not that Jacob got the birthright, but it's how Esau lost the birthright. This is the teachable moment for all of us, right? I think this is why Moses included this story, so that the children of Israel would hear this written in the wilderness and read by Moses to them, and they could say, oh, yeah, there's, there's a cost that has to be paid when I put my flesh over what's more important than my flesh. This is a story of how expedience can overcome wisdom and make us the poor. It's a story of how flesh can win over the spirit unless we say no to the flesh. It's a story of wanting something of little value instead of that which has greater or lasting value. I thought of Jim Elliot's famous quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He said that as a young man, 25 or so, and that statement would take on forever meaning for him when he was speared to death by the Aka Indians in 1956 as he was trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? He sacrificed his safety and his comfort and even his life because he couldn't keep that anyway and gave it for the sake of that which would be eternal, and in fact, we know the story that that Aka tribe, after they, they, they killed these missionaries, they all came to believe in Jesus through that testimony and the testimony of Elizabeth and others who would come and witness to them. So we've talked a lot about God, uh, manly men. Who was the godly man then in this story? Esau came from the uh, fields. He was tired. He was exhausted. And Jacob was cooking some red stew. Now Esau didn't say like our children sometimes say, look like we sometimes say. He didn't come in and say, I am starving to death. How many of you in here have ever been to the point where you were starving to death? Raise your hand if you've literally been starving almost to death. Okay, maybe we should remove that from our vocabulary, right? But that's how he was acting. He smelled the stew. He saw the stew. He wanted the stew. Right now, nothing else mattered. Right? He didn't care what it took, he was going to have the stew. Maybe some of you have heard what happened to me this week when a flying deer going north to south met my Honda Accord going traveling east to west. Huge buck landed right on my windshield. And, you know, rutting season has just started, and I think that probably the buck was chasing what he desired. And when a buck is chasing what he desired at that moment, they don't care what's in the way. In fact, they're not even looking for what's in the way. They have one thing and one thing only in, in their mind. And it doesn't matter, even if it's the pastor's car trying to make it to Mevin to have breakfast with somebody. doesn't matter. He didn't care. By the way, I think the deer was fine. My car, not so much. Esau, Esau didn't care anything at that moment 
about anything at that moment but food, right? Seafood, eat food, red stew, good. Give me some birthright. What is What good is a birthright if I'm about to die? <laughs> Drama much, Esau? He'd be great in, in Afa. Derek Kidner said he was a prey to his craving. It's interesting. I like this, this, this analogy. He was a prey to his craving. In other words, at that moment, he was not the mighty hunter. He was the weak prey. You say, but Jacob wasn't much better, right? Jacob's not much better. And on one level, you're right. He was the usurper. He was the heel grabber. Maybe he had plotted this for a while. Maybe he knew that his older brother was, was kind of a, a weak guy when it came to his flesh. And so Jacob was crafty and he was conniving and he was figuring out a way that he could trap and trip and trick his brother into getting what he wanted. What's the difference between the two? Well, the difference is that what Jacob desired more than anything was worth desiring. You know, his, his methods leave a lot to be desired. But what he desired is what we should desire, is to have the birthright. So he says, sell me your birthright now. Esau mutters something under his breath, looking at the stew, right? His eyes fixed, his belly growling. And Jacob says, swear to me now. Each one in his own way is demanding his own way. Esau is demanding to have the food. Jacob is demanding to have the birthright. But it was the profane versus the shrewd. It was the worldly dull versus the worldly wise. So Jacob gave Esau what he craved. And look at the language of verse 34 again. He ate and drank and rose and went his way. Look at those verbs. He ate. He drank, he got up, went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. You know, when I read that verse several times this week, thinking about what was going on there, I couldn't help but think of Proverbs 30, 20. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. Esau walked away, his craving satisfied thought nothing of the consequences to his soul. This was a warning to Israel. Hey, Israel, this is how you're going to end up in a bad way and in a place you don't want to be unless you listen and take heed. Those who live by the desires of their flesh will end up like Esau. Esau's descendants, by the way, if you study them, uh, share his impulsive nature. Man and woman without Christ. Man and woman without Christ will simply eat and drink and die and go their way. And in the process, they despise the birthright, the blessing that is freely given to all who come to Christ by grace and through faith. Look at the warning of the writer of Hebrews as he refers to Esau here. See to it that no, no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. And he goes on to say that he, he, then he realized what he had done, and he cried, and you know, he, 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 he shed tears, but there was no, there was no uh, turning back. 
So what are some things that we can take from this story? Number one, let's love our children uniquely, giving thanks to God for each one, right? If favoritism is something you struggle with as a parent, um, and your children have probably told you that you do, <laughs> right? If that's something you struggle with as a parent, then, then acknowledge that before God and say, Lord, help me to love my children uniquely. Number two, we can choose to live any way we want to if living to please ourselves is our highest value as a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And of course, living any way we want to is the culture's model, motto. We see it on advertisements uh, every day. We see it in social media. We hear it from uh, the world that, you know, you do you. What if you doing you is going to end up with you being in hell? What if you doing you is going to end up with you not living the life that God has called you to live and missing what he called you to do for him? Number three, how we live will have an effect on future generations. We see that with Esau, and we see that with Jacob. You can trace their line, and you can see it very clearly. And our children and our grandchildren have godly matriarchs and patriarchs that we will see blessing on in future generations. And then good news, God gives grace to his people to follow the truth and be sanctified as we will see with Jacob. Jacob's got a long way to go. We don't like him very much here. We're not going to like him very much in his relationship with Laban. We're not going to like Laban very much either. right? But Jacob will be redeemed. He will be sanctified. He will be changed. And in fact, God will call him a prince. He will change his name to Israel, a prince or someone who strives with God and is victorious. May God say that of us as well. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for the good news that you have rescued the captives, the good news that you've set us free, the good news that you've called us to follow uh, you and to live not according to our flesh, but according to the Spirit. Lord, teach us, Lord, to say no to the flesh, to put away the appetites that rule us and, and control us. Uh, for all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things build up and edify and make us more like our Savior. And we're thankful for this story. Lord, help us to be parents, grandparents, who love our children and our grandchildren uniquely. We see you working in each one of them and can, can reference that and speak words of blessing and cast a vision in their lives when we see what you're doing and give them uh, joy and hope uh, as they continue to grow and, and struggle with who, who am I and what's God calling me to do. We've got such a privilege there. We're thankful for that opportunity. And now we, we pray that you bless the rest of the service. Uh, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.